Okay. Oz Academy Plum Memorial Show Country of Oz. Here we are for yet another Joshi 2010s episode. Just finished watching this thing. I already did the pre-research prior. So here we are. Uh, it's the annual Plum Memorial Show. Uh, the death of Plum uh, Mariko from uh, JWP in the late 90s. And every year, Oz Academy does this show, and it's uh, it's their biggest show of the year. Or at least it's meant to be. Um, at, they begin this show in particular, give you an example, with... Uh, you know, a memorial ceremony, ten, ten bell salute deal, flowers, picture, the whole the whole deal. Okay? But what it's really become over the last decade, uh, plus at this point, is the biggest show for Oz Academy to uh, get sponsors, biggest show for them to get notoriety, and the biggest show for them to draw, well, the biggest crowd. And there's an interesting... Um, observation I've had in 2012, and that is an attempt, sort of, of pushing new talent, young talent. Uh, particularly, we can look to uh, Ice Ribbon for that as a forced event. We can look at Stardom as the startup company with entirely fresh uh, people being pushed, with the exception of Nanai Takahashi uh, as Red Belt Champion. But not at the top of the card, uh, not the top star, is notable. JWP has gone back to um, uh, Hariyama. Uh, however, the it really reminds me, when I thought about this, and the article put out recently at, on this recording, uh, Voices of Wrestling by a uh, dude out of the Czech Republic named Velkage, he really emphasized the giving opportunities to the young talent in bigger spots. And that's what I kind of reference to JWP at this point in time. But as we've seen with JWP, that's not good enough. You need to put people over. You need to get them in storylines to get them over. But where does that leave Oz Academy? Well... Back in 2010, when we started this journey, this is a couple of years ago at this point, they got uh, a capacity, quote-unquote, 1150, with the main event of Kaoru and Mayomi Miyazaki. And if you remember, on this very podcast, I spoke extremely highly of that match in particular and the story involved, uh, but yet under 1,200 people got to that show. Now, if we go back to 2011... Uh, that is when they went to Yokohama Bunka Gymnasium, and uh, probably a response from the year prior of Kaoru not drawing to the way they at least wanted. Uh, they loaded up with the Aja Kong, Kansai, Kandori, Ozaki, the big, I guess we'll call it early 90s, uh, a super match, a four-way elimination, um, where Ozaki won the title. Uh, that got 2,500 people. So, uh, one last hurrah with the star power. Oh, and by the way, that match was no good. <laughs> so, we cut to 2012, and this shows at Cork and Hall, 
they've really uh, downgraded uh, from last year. Uh, but you would think that they would be able to at least get to about 1,200. Well, this show was headlined by Hiroyo Matsumoto challenging for the title against Chikayo Nagashima uh, heel in the Oz Academy group. Okay, Ozaki group. And there's a lot of Ozaki and Ozaki goon throughout this show. Okay. 876 is the number, and that's that's pretty bad. Even for the time and comparing just to Oz Academy themselves, uh, that is down year over year. And if you want to go 2010, that's still down <laughs> from that prior. And that's not good. Uh, but Hiroyo is an up-and-coming talent being pushed along with a host of others that I've, I consistently name on this very show. So I won't go through that again. Uh, Hiroyo did come off that excellent Corkin Hall match against the Nai Takahashi, got, got over uh, by all intents and purposes, has not gone back to stardom since, which is notable. But here she is in Oz Academy, which is mostly her general stomping ground as a freelancer. But again, I go back to, it's great you give these talents their their ops, but if they don't win, or if there's no, like, continuing story for them to win, it's it's hard to really believe and be interested in what they're doing, especially at a main, main event level. That's where we always struggle. So we begin <clears throat> with Command Bolshoi and Rabbit Miyu. Against Nao Kamatsu and Sari. Yes, that's Sari. Recent re- return to the Joshi independent scene uh, after her WWE stint. Uh, they end up losing this match in nine minutes to Bolshoi, uh, doing a knee bar against Nao Kamatsu, notably in New Gear. Uh, and yet, the New Gear has not changed her wrestling ability. She's still uh, very much on the lower end. And Rabbit Miyu. Getting these bookings. I, I mean, she's not a star by any means. She's not, like, great in the ring, but her her unique size, <laughs> to put it loosely, is easy to kind of root around, and you can see why she's in these these kinds of opening matches. All right? So this was your uh, JWP spot, if you will, as I uh, take a drink of water here. So not much to, not much to say here. Kind of a messy match. Bolshoi is just... Uh, She's just directing traffic with a lot of the young talent, and it's about what you expect. There is, um, uh, funny enough, one rating of this show on Cage Match, and it's a 4 out of 10. And uh, I get it. I get why. The second match is a trios match. Mayumi Ozaki, Mio Shirai, and Yumi Oka, 14 minutes, losing to... Tomoka Nakagawa, Tsubasa Kuragaki, and Manami Toyota. So a, I'll call this the Wave Offer match <laughs> with some Oz Academy involved. Uh, this was the Manami Toyota Showcase. Uh, yes, Kuragaki and Ozaki got their heat in spots, um, notably Ozaki, of course, with the chain and police and whatnot. But uh, Kuragaki got to do a uh, triple torture rack on all of the Ozaki Goon team, which I thought was kind of cool. But really, it was about Toyota going around the ring, getting the crowd interested. She's drop-kicking everybody from the top rope, and eventually does put away, I believe it was Yumi Oka with the 
Um, it was like her version of the Northern Lights bomb. Basically, she even she even does the the pin with the knee over the throat. Uh, yeah, it was definitely Yumioka because uh, Yumioka kicks out at three, <laughs> like she was choking. Uh, yeah, the uh, yeah the Queen Bee bomb. My God, that's what it's called. So an okay match, a little little on the long side for what we were doing here in the undercard. But we move on nonetheless. Nice little match. I'll put it that way. Little house show match. Heel face team. But also an absolute mess from start to finish. As it was uh, not a traditional tag. And I can't say it was even a Joshi tag. It was mostly just people coming in and out of the ring constantly from the get-go. And just kind of hitting their spots and leaving. Mako Satamora. There you go. Her uh, The blue unicorn herself makes an appearance. On a big show in the Joshi scene. Let's see how many matches in 2012 to this point she has even had. So we are uh, August 19th, 2012. And Mako Satamora at this point in 2012. Well, she only wrestles 35 matches all year. And if we do the math. She has... Uh, yeah, okay, half. She's reached her halfway point, essentially. Not a lot left. Okay. Yeah, she is going to Chikara, which I have this DVD, actually, where, I am not kidding you, Um, it is uh, Dash and Sendai Sachiko with Mako Satomura in the King of Trios tournament in Chikara, and they face Mike Bennett and the Young Bucks <laughs> in the semifinals. Uh, funny. They do beat, uh, a team of Jigsaw, Mike Quackenbush, and, not making this up, Manami Toyota. I, yes, I do have this DVD, by the way. I do do. Do 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 do. Uh, also, they beat in the first round a certain wrestler of the Ant Colony, Fire Ant, who is, uh, Orange Cassidy. So, Orange Cassidy has been around a while. And there you go. Shared a ring with Mako Satomura. So, little fun facts there. But, um, this was pretty okay. This was good. Uh, Ran Yu is on Retirement Road. Okay. Uh, since, uh, Tomatsu, uh, yeah, Yumatsu, uh, retired a few months ago at this point. And Yu is on her way out. And she's kind of doing these, she's doing a bunch of these kind of singles matches against various opponents and various promotions a lot. And you like you get the feeling watching a few of these Oz Academy shows that she's being primed for some big retirement match. And here we are, one of the bigger, uh, I would say the biggest Oz Academy show of the year. Uh, I guess you could maybe argue the end of year show around the New Year's and Christmas holiday. But uh, in terms of promotion and what they're doing, it's it's this one. So Ran Yu and Mako have, uh, you know, they do a lot of grappling at first. Uh, then they th start throwing their strikes. Ran Yu is very much a forearm-only striker, while Mako has a bit more to her repertoire. They go 12 and a half minutes. Uh, it's pretty okay for the majority of it. And then eventually Mako just kind of puts her away, puts her in a armbar kind of sleeper hold deal with her thighs, and uh, you you just gets ch choked out, 
uh, and the ref calls for the bell. So not really uh, what I'd done, what what I would have done done on a show like this, uh, especially with Ran Yu and Mako gains really nothing by this. She just kind of shows up, and people, you know, it's it's weird. The people don't react to her all that much, but you can tell it's like this aura of respect because of her situation with Gaia and. Probably a lot of people know at this time what the state of Sendai is with the earthquake and flooding. The next match, uh, we're firmly in the top three matches here, but I'll still call it a mid-card match nonetheless. It is Mayumi Ozaki defeating Carlos Amano. So kind of a former champion versus champion match here. 11 and a half minutes. It doesn't go long, but it goes pretty hard. Uh, before the bell, there's police and Saki Hasegawa. Uh, you'd never recognize her if you throw her in her uh, All Japan women's gear from the early 90s. It is uh, She's Blizzard Yuki in these days. She carries a whip. She's got a little BDSM thing going on. Well, those two, uh, as in Yuki and police, beat up Amano before the bell. There's Ozaki just kind of looking at her bad deeds in the ring. And it's 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 a lot of that throughout the match. Amano's trying to fight back over the dirty heels. Uh, it's three on one for the majority of the match. A lot. Ozaki's got a chain. Amano never uses it. It's it's every Ozaki singles match you've ever seen in your life, minus like a barbed wire table or two, you know. And what it comes down to is Ozaki. Uh, they they end up getting to a pretty hot finish. I will admit where Ozaki's throwing uh, the big slaps, the backhands, backhand, backhand action with the chain, and Omano's fighting back with uh, the headbutts, going off the ropes into a headbutt. They exchange a few near falls. They're then trying to roll each other up. And uh, what ends up happening is police is in the ring. And every near fall, it's every uh, situational near fall in which Omano looks like she's going to win, it's a police or Blizzard Yuki interference. Just straight up walking in the ring, sauntering around, kicking, and then the ref's just like, hey, get out of there. What are you doing? It's very it's very 1980s-esque without the actual help going on on the outside to try to make this match one-on-one. Amano had no help throughout the entire time. So Police is in the ring. Amano headbutts this guy. And uh, Amano is going to use him as a vault to go and headbutt Ozaki, but Ozaki uh, chucks the chain at her uh, in a a ball, knocks her down, and then she, Ozaki, that is, uses the chain, or uses police, that is, uh, to hit the big uh, jumping flash kick uh, off police, and then pins Amano, I can't say clean as a whistle, that's obviously not true, but (laughs) uh, that's... uh, that's ultimately what happens, and Ozaki talks some shit, <clears throat> and Omano walks away, and that's our that's kind of our first like big singles match with consequences, uh, I guess in terms of Oz Academy promotion lore, if you even want, or produce show lore, if you want to go that way. And then we get to the match of the night, and possibly a match of the year contender in women's wrestling, it is the tag titles on the line. Aja Kong and Kato defending against Akino and Ayumi Kurihara. And they have a little, uh, on this Gaura DVD, uh, they have a little video package going on, uh, kind of building up the match a little bit, just on various uh, other shows prior in the months. 
but also on this DVD, uh, frequently there's an NFL 2012 commercial <laughs> plugging a magazine, which I found hilarious. Uh, big hits and big men <laughs> kind of situation. They uh, they plug uh, an ongoing tennis tournament that was happening at the time and and uh, like a tour in Japan of sorts. Uh, and they were plugging the World Cup in Brazil coming in two years. So it uh, gives you ideas of the time frame there. Always the kind of the same commercials. But anyways, uh, Kato Kong against Akino and Kurihara absolutely ruled. It's a full three out of three match. It's uh, really the only recommendation I can I can do on this entire show. Uh, you you could you could probably talk me in talk me into a Satomura Ranyu you like one out of three situation. Uh, but this uh, this Kato Kong deal uh, absolutely rocked. Uh, Akino and Kato just they will always have great chemistry against each other. Know what to do at the right times and how to invoke near falls. Uh, this was the first. This was the first and really only match that had a significant amount of heat to it. Okay, as in crowd interaction and really rooting for people. And uh, I believe one of the storylines uh, going into this match was the losing team could not team anymore for the tag titles. I'm not sure if that's correct, but that's also that. That's kind of what I was able to decipher. And uh, if anyone has a um, a more accurate idea of what what happened here I'd be I'd, I'd love to love to hear it but anyways uh Kong was a machine uh but it really I mean it goes to a 30 minute draw and then what happens is uh Kurihara gets on the mic and says this is enough we still got more to give we can't just walk away with the consequences just kind of forgotten about and Aja Kong's just like, man, you're really uh, adamant about this. Okay, uh, I don't want to do this because one of us is now going to lose their partner, even though neither of us could win. But hell, let's do it anyways. Let's go into overtime, sudden death situation. The crowd really reacts strong. Uh, if you've seen a JWP tag, AJW tag, you know what you're in for. What what? difference happens here is in this six minute ending stretch which is really what brings this match home as a full three is it's entirely Aja Kong against Ayumi Kurihara okay so Kurihara as soon as Kong says let's do it and hands off the mic Kurihara jumps this woman and Kong's no selling her Kurihara hits the ropes she gets lariated right out of her boots and Kong's throwing her around the arena a little bit, uh, really treating her like like a youngster that doesn't know what she's gotten into, really kicking her ass. And it's at at first I'm like, oh my god, okay. I mean, it's not it's it's nothing like the beating we saw in the match prior, where Ozaki is like has the match won and she's picking a mono off the uh, off the ground off the mat and invoking more things just to kind of get the crowd to bite on a near fall. It was it was none of that for Kurihara. It was Kurihara kind of fighting for her life against the stronger legend here. An actual legend of the sport. <laughs> While Kato and Akino, they did their job in the early parts of the match. They did their job at the ending stretch. So now it's all about the other two to really bring the match home. So what happens is Akino is able to get in the ring at opportune times and 
uh, kick Kong in the face, drop kick her, and this is when Kong starts selling because it's two on one now. Uh, she has to sell, and Kong is bumping her ass off throughout the entire match. It's just when this overtime kicks in, she goes beast mode. Okay, so it takes two. It takes two people to 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 knock her down, uh, really put her in her place. And Kurihara is suplexing this woman all over the place. That Uranagi over the head suplex just absolutely rules. And I uh, haven't seen the hammerlock Uranagi suplex in quite some time. But Kurihara's, uh, you know, jumping off Kong, going into Kato with code breakers, uh, getting Akino to kind of throw her into opponents. Uh, they're doing they're doing uh, wheelbarrow code breaker combos. So. Kong does get back up when the 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 odds are even, so Kurihara is kind of hanging on by a thread here, and uh, Kong's signaling for the Uranagi, and of course uh, Kato gets collateral damaged, and so Kurihara uh, actually goes for a small package, and Kong does not go down. She's looking at her, looking at her. Goes to pick her up, and as she goes to pick her up, here comes Akino with a punt to the face, as uh, to a, a bending down Aja Kong, and then Kurihara uh, gets the roll up to win the titles in the match. Uh, I normally I'd be sort of against this kind of roll up finish. I'd like a more decisive win, especially when it comes to a young, uh, the brightest young talent on the scene, Kurihara, winning over. Aja Kong um, with her own move, not someone else's, but this is also the the way Joshi politics tend to go with booking and whatnot. I'm not sure if Aja Kong has much like regard for politicking in that way. I think she knows what aura she has to bring if she wants to stay in the scene in a in a longevity sense. But nonetheless, Kong looks at Kato, say we lost, we're done. Kato's mad, and then Kurihara and Akina. Akino celebrate in the ring. Uh, excellent match. Excellent victory for the team. Uh, it's a full three match. 30, 36 minutes. I'd say it's well worth your time to go out. And that's kind of the whole reason why we're here. Is uh, for matches like this. And if Oz Academy would stay away from the Ozaki Goon shtick every single show. We could be we, we could have a more consistent promotion. On a on a on a monthly basis that people would actually cover, uh, the only person that has ever ever covered Oz Academy to any extent is me. <laughs> okay, not the one show a year or the one match. I'm covering this in the 2010s. I bring it up all the time on on the uh, RLR proper. So here we are, another three out of three tag match from Oz Academy. Then we get to our main event. And this is the match that did not draw, and certainly did not draw the house. But if we go back to how this match came down, back in June, at Shinjuku Face, a measly 342 for Oz Academy, uh, it came down to a finals of Hiroyo Matsumoto and Ran Yuyu against each other. And I actually like this booking, in the sense that Hiroyo got the win over a veteran like Ran Yuyu, and a former Oz champion at this point. In a vacuum, this makes all the sense in the world, right? It's kind of how we got there, where it was just this one-night tournament. <coughs> Very short matches, uh, some squashes at times. I mean, we had Yu Yu defeating Toyota in the opener in under eight minutes. Uh, 
Hiroyo's be- beating Mio Shirai in two minutes. I mean, why bother? And then because we're uh, we're constrained on time for these shows, they have to do like a time limit draw or squash match straight up for whatever reason. I'm not sure why you would even book it in the first place. Just stretch it out over two shows and give us something better. But regardless, Hiroyo does beat Ranyuyu in the main event of that. And then their big kind of go-home angle was in July where they simply had a four-match card at Shinjuku Face, 401 people, and it's Chikayo and Hiroyo tagging up against Aja Kong and Manami Toyota for a 20-minute can-they-coexist match. Uh, I could totally see that match uh, ruling and Toyota taking the pin to Chikayo Nagashima. That's what I'd see happening. Um, Either way, uh, the fact that uh, the result is like a pin. I can't imagine it was Aja Kong uh, taking the fall there. So uh, that's mostly just our build here. Uh, th- they do reference a lot of people getting uh, misted by uh, Chikayo Nagashima with her uh, newfound Oz Academy attitude. Okay. Uh, so this match is really weird. Okay, so you have heel Chikayo Nagashima, who was a babyface for a long time in this promotion, then just joins Oz Academy. Uh, and it's, let's see, how much, how long does this match go? This match went 22 and a half minutes, and I would say 19 of it had a singular chair involved. This might as well have been a chair match on TLC. You know, TLC PPV, uh, premium live event. Blech. Uh, so Chikayo Nagashima and Hiroyo uh, are just trading chair shots, and they're doing suplexes and brain busters on this chair. Uh, they go to the outside. They're banging each other's heads on east and west. Uh, Chikayo is chucking a chair at a distance. I'm not sure how you would w- be able to work the frame of a chair going into you the way it did. Their their forearms just have to be just so bruised after taking these things. And the match just never clicks. The crowd was not into it. I mean, the crowd wasn't in for most of the show. Uh, they were in for, let me tell you what, when the match gets hot, crowd's into it. And that's what they were in for the Oz Academy tag title match. They were not into this one. It just kept going and going and going and going. It was not to the same extent of the Hiroyo Nanai match uh, that was at Corican earlier in the year. Uh, Chikayo just was really missing something here. Hiroyo just didn't have her fire. And I think doing a match with this fucking chair involved the majority of the time just left a lot to be the desired. And after all this, uh, there's a little ref bump in the corner and Chikayo mists Hiroyo and basically rolls her up. One, two, three. She hits a move and then kind of rolls her up. But yeah, it's clean as a whistle. Hiroyo down. Not a big reaction out of the crowd, and I would consider this a failure of a main event, and no wonder it drew under 900 people. Because uh, we've definitely seen... We've definitely seen improvement in the scene in 2012 in terms of attendance. We've seen improvement in uh, a lot of wrestlers starting to be highlighted more and more, but they're not being highlighted in the right, right sequences and events. And when you get Hiroyo Matsumoto putting out a match like this against Nagashima, uh, that doesn't bode well for a lot of confidence when you can't garner a reaction and the tag match did. Not to say that the tag titles are 
worth less, but they always they always book them that way. It's always a semifinal. It's never a final uh, on a major show of the year, and that's that's what holds those titles back from being treated as main event titles uh, throughout the scene. Unless you get a really hot team. I mean, we're not talking, you know, Azuri Revolution over here or the Drop Kickers kind of situation, but. You know, Nagashima, she can still go to an extent, even to this day, and definitely needs the right opponent, but the uh, the introduction and usage of this chair really brought the match down to a disappointing level. So, that leaves us with at least a fresh young team as a champion. I know, well, I say young team uh, for the tag titles. Kurihara is the young one. Akino is in her 40s this point in time nagashima is in her uh how old is she at this point in time she might be like 31 actually now that i think about it um no she's like she's like 36 at this point in time uh i guess that's not terribly old by any means but in terms of kind of the generation that we've seen so much of by 2012 uh, we've already been watching these people for you know 10 15 years it's not like it's a Tam Nakano that has come up over the last five years and has has reached the top of the mountain. She's fresh. Nagashima and company are not. Ayumi Kurihara is fresh. Aja Kong is not. She's still treated like a star and legend, much like kind of Mako Satomura to a lesser extent. Satomura to a lesser extent, but you get the idea. There, there's, there's a lot of things that Oz Academy just never really evolves away from, and that is their idea. So that'll do it for this episode of the Joshi 2010s. Remember, if you're listening on AJW Destiny Podcast, uh, consider subscribing to the Patreon, patreon.com slash redleafretrocast, to support this podcast and get these episodes early. We also got Pure J Podcast Monthly, LLPW Monthly, and more. So... There you go. Our next episode will be the Wave 5th Anniversary Show, the Sail Away Show. Seems to be an annual tradition at this point in time, and uh, boy, oh boy, Wave, uh, Wave is struggling. Put it that way. See you next time, everybody.